Oh, good morning. Be seated. If you want, stay standing. If you, I mean, honestly, it's up to you. You don't have, you don't have to do that. You don't got to listen to me. Um, uh, good morning. What is up? My name is Joshua. Um, I'm the pastor here. I've been gone the past two weeks, been doing things. You know what I'm saying? We in here. We're married now. Uh, my wife, Leah, is what I call her now. She's right there. Shout out, Leah. Hey, come on. Shout out, Leah. You never have to cheer for me, but you must cheer for my wife. I'm just kidding. That's weird. Um, hey, before we, before we go anywhere, happy Veterans Day. Are there any veterans here right now? Anybody? Any? Yes. Will you stand up? Are you cool with that? Can we just like honor you and bless you, Dave? Like shout out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Man, happy Veterans Day. Seriously, thank you so much for the time that you've just committed to serve our country. It's so, so cool, and uh, that's what today is. So I just wanted to honor them and bless them. Last week was birthday Sunday. Um, I was not there. Out of all the Sundays that I chose to be gone on my honeymoon, um, it was the one where we celebrated our 10th birthday, but I heard it was epic, and we have this slide that's gonna show how much money was given. Yeah, yeah, boom, big time, come on. And then these names... Are, are all the people that were baptized, did I see Catherine? Yeah, I did. Okay, okay. I want, I, Catherine is in here somewhere. She got baptized. She's a part of our family. It's so cool. Um, and actually, that number got updated this morning. That's now $125,000, which is so cool. Um, and I want to just read um, what this giving has gone. I know that you guys got to meet P.S. and J. Cherie uh, two weeks ago, which is so epic. I actually got to meet them. They stayed in town longer than I thought, and they're beautiful and sweet and awesome. And uh, here's what this money is going to do, just so you know. For a whole year, this is gonna help 600, this is going to like provide um, education and meals for 650 students for the year. Um, 75 adults are gonna go through job training. 49 teenagers will be given a place to live. This is gonna fund eight churches for an entire year. Eight school teachers, 10 cooks, 10 pastors, and six support staff will all have jobs to help advance the kingdom of God in Eastern India. So, uh, did you hear the number of things I just named that that number's gonna give? Is that not awesome? So um, thank you guys. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Um, thank you guys for being generous. And uh, man, it's so cool. Like I know that a number on the screen can only go so far, but like, please know, that's why we have like videos and stuff, but please know like this matters. Like lot, countless lives, like we'll be blessed by this. It'll go far beyond the numbers we see here. And just that's just so so sweet. Like, it's fun that we live in a, a world where we have the means to give money to people thousands of miles away and know it's going to bless families that we'll never meet, um, but we'll see one day. So it's just so cool. Thank you guys for being faithful and for being generous. So I think it's awesome. So we're continuing with our series in For the City. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 today. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, any way that you can turn to Luke chapter 10. Um, it's in the New Testament right after the book of Mark. I didn't get the page number out of our blue Bibles. Someone has that, you can shout it out. It's all right. Um, yeah, Luke chapter 10, and uh, I'm gonna tell a story before we read that. So maybe having you turn there right now is more inconvenient than helpful, but regardless, here's a story, okay? First time back after getting married, and I already have a story about marriage, all right? I'm already turning into one of those pastors. Man, let me tell you about marriage, and here's a metaphor where I learned about the heart of God. Do you know that pastors do that a lot? All right, I'm about to do it. So actually, before I got married, this is actually before I got married, the day of my wedding, something insane happened, and I want to tell you about it, because I think God was teaching me something um, other than I was kind of an idiot. So I wake up early Saturday morning at 7 a.m., or actually about 6 a.m., because I can't sleep. I'm about to get married. I'm, I'm freaking out in a good way. I'm like, man, I can't sleep. I'm like amped. And uh, what you don't, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, 
we got engaged, we bought a house, and we got married in a two-month span. That is insane. And no, she's not pregnant, all right, for all those little looks, okay? We got married in two months because we wanted to get married really fast. I thought that joke would go better. So <laughs> we, got a, we, got, we got all this stuff happened in two months. And the thing is, we didn't hire a wedding coordinator. Um, advice to everyone, hire a wedding coordinator, especially if you have two months to get married. So we spent all of our time going like, man, where do we get married? Let's figure that out. Uh, let's get a tent there. Do we have trash cans? Okay, hey, can you bring trash cans? Do we have ice? Could you bring ice? Could someone monitor the drinks? Thank you guys. Like we're handing out all these responsibilities because we don't have our own coordinator. We're doing all this work. And the morning of the wedding, you know, you just wake up like, I hope to goodness all the boxes that were supposed to be checked are checked because it felt like we had like 150 details. Like, who did we forget to invite? We know we forgot somebody. Like, what went wrong? Like, please tell me the catering's gonna be there. I'm leaning on two of my buddies and I don't know how much I trust them, you know. We'll see. So all these boxes are checked and there's only one left, all right? I, I wanna pre-check us into Southwest because we're, we're flying to Mexico for our honeymoon. It's gonna be awesome. You know, I've already booked all of it. I've talked to the hotels, the resorts. I've got it all set up. They know it's our honeymoon. They know we're coming. It's about to be sweet and special, all right? So I text Leah at like 6 a.m. and I'm like, hey, babe, could you send me a picture of our passports so I can go ahead and pre-check us in because we don't want to do this tomorrow at 5 a.m. We want to just get to the airport and get on the plane. She sends back the photos of the passports and I go to enter in the information. And I'm looking at the photo of my passport and I'm like, I kind of asked myself, when was February of 2018? Because that's when my passport is saying it expired which is so interesting because I, I think it needs to not be expired to book this flight. Like, and it's like, it's like seeing a storm over there that you know is gonna wreak havoc. And, and it's like 100 miles wide, so you can't escape it. And so really all you can do is stare at it until it just eventually just blows your house down and ruins your life. It's like, okay, here it comes. Like, it's gonna happen. And it slowly starts sinking. And, and my first response to this like urgency was to text her and say, babe, is my passport expired? <laughs> like, it's very blatantly expired, but I'm just like, let me just double check with her. Like, maybe it doesn't say that. Maybe the photo, like, sent wrong, and it altered it a little bit, right? And all of a sudden, I realized, like, the worst thing, well, maybe not the worst thing, maybe, like, the second worst thing, aside from her saying, I don't want to marry you, is happening, and I drive over to see her at 7 a.m. to get my passport because I'm hoping I can get a same day transfer, like hoping I can pay like however much I need to pay. I only got a couple hundred bucks to pay, but hopefully I can do it. To get it. And, I, and I pull up to her at the driveway and she comes out and she just sees me bawling on the steering wheel because I've let down my girl. Like step one, marry her. Step two, take her on a honeymoon. And step two is botched. And I'm like... <laughs> And we haven't even gotten married yet, so I gotta go salvage this thing. Like, babe, I promise this is the last mistake I'll make on this size. It probably isn't, but please, let's hang on to this thing. So she just finds me weeping, and I found myself being like, I'm so sorry. Like, we checked all the small boxes. Like, the wedding went well, other than the hornet's nest that we ended up having. It was an outdoor wedding. It was kind of scary. Only a few kids got stung. That's a true story. But everything else was checked, except, like, the blatantly obvious thing. Like, if you're gonna book a trip, out of the country, make sure you got your hotel, make sure you got your flights, make sure you got your itinerary, also make sure you can actually leave the country. And I didn't do it, and it was insane. And we ended up going to Florida, she got the flu the very next day, we spent our honeymoon at the CVS pharmacy, the walk-in clinic, so it was glad, we were glad we were in the States, it worked out. But 
It was stuck out to me. I was like, wow, amidst all the details of life, like all the things that we're trying to make sure we've got going right, I miss like the most blatantly obvious thing. I mean, when I tell people this story, they're like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, didn't, I just did it. Like, I didn't mean to. It wasn't my plan. But amidst all the small details, I miss like maybe like the biggest detail when you're trying to travel. And I feel like I was telling me, man, in the midst of, of all life has for us, it is so easy to give first place energy to so many things in our life and to one day wake up and go, I missed it. Like the things I care about the most, I never invested in. Like the most important things. And we're gonna read a story in Luke 10 that you're all gonna be relatively familiar with. It's the story about the Good Samaritan. I think most of us have heard this story. And a man's gonna ask Jesus, hey, what's the most important thing in a life that gives us a lot of options in this Big book, the Bible, and maybe when he's asking, he's talking about the Torah and all the law, Jesus. If we had to remember one thing, what is it? And Jesus is gonna answer that question. And the man's gonna ask for more. He's gonna say, well, like, what does this look like? Like, how do I actually obey this? And Jesus is gonna do something he often does. He's gonna tell a story. And as we've been in this series for the city, kind of pondering what would it mean if we could be the type of church that displayed the goodness and the character of God in such a way that if we ever went missing, the city would miss us. Where are they at? Where they, where they go? Like, we don't feel them anymore. We don't see that goodness anymore because we're gone. And as we're venturing in this, man, one of the central things we want to center our church on is the great commandment. And this man's going to ask Jesus, hey, if you had to boil it all down to one thing, what's the most important commandment? Jesus is going to say, man, you love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. And he's going to tell a story. Let's read this in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and we'll read all the way through verse 37. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go, and do likewise. So we have this story where a guy's trying to get to the heart of Jesus. What's the most important thing? And he's a lawyer, so he's being a little testy. He probably thinks he knows the law really well, so he kind of asks one of those leading questions, like, I already know the answer here. Um, but Jesus is gonna do what he always does. He tells a story, and he blows minds. And when we hear this story, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, like if you identify as a follower of Jesus, like big time devoted to the word of God, or you're not sure, we all hear this and go, I'm a fan of the Samaritan. Like, it seems like the Samaritan got it right. Of the three, passing by, 
the guy who was beaten up and robbed and left for dead, I hope I would be the Samaritan. Can we all pretty much just agree that that sounds like a good idea, right? But so often, at least for me in my, my own journey, I find myself over and over again hearing stories like this and going, man, I, this is what I want my life to be like. But when I actually look at my life and how much of my energy goes into showing active compassion on people who are in need of seeing the mercy and the love and the goodness and the grace of Jesus, I find myself straying away from these commands in this life, and I wonder why. And so I wanna dig into a little bit. So why is it that we so often come to a place like this, open the Bible, talk about things like this, and all of us are in agreement that this is probably the way to live life, to embody the Samaritan life, like the one who, who has compassion on the people who need it, that has eyes for the broken and hurting and goes, and he doesn't just say, man, I hope you feel better, but he goes and he gets in the mud and he helps and he walks with them. Why is it that we come here and we all agree that's the thing to do? And yet so often, if you're like me, you're like, my life doesn't resemble that. Like, I want my heart to do this. I want my life to look like this, but so often I don't, I don't find it looking like that. And I wanna examine this a little bit. There's a few things we learn about the Samaritan and what it looks like to live a life of active compassion. That's kind of the phrase I want you to remember today. This life of active compassion. Because Jesus is gonna say, man, you wanna love God so much with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, that the cause and effect of that, the result of that is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And he gives a story about a Samaritan man who gets it. He has this act of compassion. But there's some things we learn about the Samaritan and what it looks like to live a life of active compassion, okay? There's three things that act, well, there's a lot of things, but here's three. The active compassion is not, all right? And if you're taking notes, maybe write this down, maybe not. It's up to you, but here's three things, all right? Active compassion is not convenient, or at least not always, all right? Maybe even rarely. It's not convenient, okay? Active compassion is not cheap. It is not cheap. And active compassion is not clean. It's not a clean thing, all right? It involves us getting into a mess, okay? So active compassion, are you guys with me right now? Are we locked in? Give me some like head nod, man. I'm self-conscious and sweaty. I haven't done this in two weeks. Okay, all right. It's not convenient, cheap, or clean. So First and foremost, active compassion is not convenient. You know, when I've read this story, I've always thought about, okay, man, the priest, he just walked by, like, that's crazy. The Levite walked by, the Samaritan, wow, that's amazing. But what I've never done is ask the practical questions. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, what was the Samaritan, like, what was he originally doing? Like, where was he going? And how long did this take? And who was waiting on him? Like, was it family? And they were like worried sick, like what happened to our guy? Like, was it a mom, like my son? Like, where is he? Was anyone worried or was it a business meeting? Was there like a trade going down? Was this important? Was this guy going to get a check? Like, was he going to make a trade that was gonna give his family food? Like, I never asked that, right? Like, what's this guy doing that when he sees a Samaritan, or no, Samaritan is the guy who's doing it, all right? When he sees someone beaten and robbed on the side of the road, what are the things he is pressing pause on in order to help this person? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I do know that no matter what it was, this was not a convenient moment. This was not a on the way kind of thing. Like, oh, that makes, yes, I left room in my schedule just in case I happened upon a man beaten and left for dead, right? So immediately we learn, if you wanna have the active compassion of Jesus, like this man, you have to be open to inconvenience. I don't think it's actually inconvenience, but in our culture, it'll feel like inconvenience, all right? So the first thing we learn, active compassion is so often inconvenient. Secondly, 
Active compassion is not cheap. It will cost you, all right? This guy spends time, energy, and money all in one spot very quickly. And he does so on the front end and the back end. It's impressive. It's like a holistic approach here. On the front end, he goes to this guy and he gives his time. And the older I get, I'm not that old, but it seems like the older I get, man, like time is so precious. Like I'm starving for more time. I'm learning that that's the thing you can't save. Like, so I'm getting more and more tight-fisted and close to my chest with time. If you want some of my time, we're gonna, I'm gonna really negotiate here. Let's see what we can do. Like, I got 30 minutes for coffee, right? Like, okay, 15, I got something to do. Time's important, right? That's not actually how I am, I don't think, but if I ever did that to you, I'm sorry. But I can get, I can get pretty selfish with time. This man gives his time. He approaches this situation with open hands. And not just his time, his energy. It says that he picks this guy up and puts it on his animal, whatever that means. Look, I don't know how strong this guy was. I know it was a hot day on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. I know it wasn't easy. He gives his energy. He puts this man on an animal. And that was hard work. I feel like I've, all I've noticed is, oh, man, he took him to an inn and, like, and took care of him. But I'm like, man, to carry a man, put him on some donkey or horse, and then travel somewhere, that's a lot of work. That's energy, man. That's like getting your body involved. That's not just saying, I hope you feel better. Like, here's some cash. Like, no, that's, that's, that's work. It, it, takes, it takes time, it takes energy, and it takes money sometimes. Like, notice this man's generosity. He comes to this man and says, takes him to an end and gives money and says, hey, if this isn't enough on this side of things, I'm gonna come back. I'm giving more of my time and more of my funds. I will take care of this. And we learn in this story that act of compassion is something that asks us to be open-handed with our time, with our energy, with our finances. And lastly, this was not clean. This is not something that would have been on the Instagram story. Like, hey, look, we're serving. Like, that's what we're doing. Love you. Come and join us. Like, we're at Kroger. Um, it's a good thing. Good thing. Good thing. Kroger was great. Loved it. Important. All right. But it's not one of those things, right? In fact, at the very least, ceremonially, religiously, this was a very unclean moment. So but I won't deep dive into this. We could. In between Samaritans and Jews, it was considered religiously, spiritually unclean for the two to interact. In fact, if a Jew would, would be traveling, a Jewish person traveling somewhere and Samaritan, where the Samaritans were, or Samaria was in the way, they would take two or three extra days to dodge that city to avoid being unclean. So in this moment, he's becoming at the very least ceremonially, like on a spiritual level, unclean to help his brother out. But also, I'm imagining, I've been to Israel, shout out, it's, what? Maybe it was the iPad, hold on. Y'all good with this? Just one can't figure it out. Anyway, so this was not a clean job, right? I'm imagining in the Middle East at this hour, it was hot, it was sweaty, it was smelly. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that stinks, but when you're around someone that smells bad, the immediate goal is to leave as quickly as possible. But this guy, like, just think about the mundane circumstances here. Puts a beaten and robbed guy who's been laying on the roadside for hours, puts him on an animal and travels with him. Like, this is not a clean Job. This took a real commitment to be in the mess with somebody. So immediately we learn that active compassion, if we're gonna be the type of people that are the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to understand, man, this is not always gonna be convenient. This will not always be a cheap thing. It's gonna ask for open hands with our time, our money, our resources, our energy. And it's not always gonna be clean. Like when you've got people in the mud, you don't tell them from the sidelines, hey, get out of the mud. Like you get in the mud with them. You help them out, Okay. And so all of us hear this and we're like, yeah, this is obvious, right? Even as I look at you, I haven't blown anybody's mind. No one is surprised by anything I've said so far. We're like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense. I picked that up from the story. 
So the question I've really been asking myself, if this is all so obvious, if this all makes so much sense, that we need to be selfless, we need to be open-handed, we need to be compassionate, all this stuff, why aren't we doing it? Like, why aren't we seeing more of it, right? And I'm not trying to push this like on a legalistic side. If you're feeling stressed with your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm about to get more action steps. Like, no, like peace of Jesus over your life. But I was asking myself, man, why, why do I feel like this is so hard for me? Why don't I have enough time for this? Why isn't this like first priority on my heart? Because Jesus, here you go answering the question, man, what's the most important commandment in my life? At least my life doesn't really reflect that. And so I actually wanna take like three minutes, maybe two minutes. I'm gonna give you a chance before I dive into my reasons. I want you to ask yourself, what are the things that keep me from making this simple commandment to love others like we love ourselves, to step into active compassion? What do you think are the things that distract you from doing that? in your daily life. And I want you to pull out a pen and paper or pull out a phone or at least pretend with me so we can feel the momentum of the room. Like, but pull out something to write on and I want you to answer this question. What keeps me from living into an active, compassionate life? What keeps you from doing it? Because so often we wanna demonize the priest and Levi, but that's me. That's my life. Like I'm busy, I'm doing things. I got things to do right now. So take a moment, ask yourself, what keeps me from living into this life of active compassion? And then I'll give you my list. If you need a pen, there's pens on all the communion tables in all four corners of the room. All right, um, thank you for the music. Thank you for the touch, that's great. I wanna share with you my list because I, as I think about it, I'm like, man, if you identify as a follower of Jesus or not, you're like, man, it's probably better that we help people that we're selfless, that we're kind, like that we, that we put others' needs above our own. And yet, if you're like me, you're like, I don't do that like a super whole lot. And here's my reasons for that. I have five. First one that comes to my mind is just straight up busyness, which is crazy because in our culture, we're more like streamlined and efficient by the day. I was looking online and I saw this story and I can't really explain the details, but there was this Amazon storefront maybe in New York or something. But anyway, there's this new deal where there's not one place you check out. You walk in and somehow the store knows it's you. I don't know how. Cameras, sensor, I don't know. You can walk in, you are immediately identified and there's items on the shelf and you can grab whatever you want and walk out and it charges you. I don't know what's going on with that. That is creepy. It's like left behind. Maybe it's the chip in the, the Antichrist thing. I don't know. I don't know, but I know that it's existing right now. And I'm like, well, that's so amazing. So you mean I can go to a store and spend as little time there as possible, interact with literally no one and leave with my stuff? Like you talk about efficient. And like in 10 years, I'm pretty sure there's gonna be self-driving cars. I'm gonna be taking a nap on my way to work. Traffic is gonna be like effortless, no traffic lights. I don't know how it's gonna work, but it's gonna be streamlined, right? Like that's the direction of our culture. Like we are as streamlined, as efficient as possible. Yet if you're like me, you feel as busy and as cluttered up top as you've ever been. Like as much, as much as efficient as we are as a culture, I still feel so busy. Busy enough that every time there is a moment to display the compassion of Jesus that was first displayed to me, is that me? Okay, every time there's a moment to display the compassion of Jesus that was first displayed to me, I see it as an interruption. And it turns out I'm not too good with those. I don't like interruptions. It reminded me of a story that my professor told me in college. He said that he was walking with another one of his colleagues and that a young student was really eager and walked up to them, really unaware that they were already in a conversation and just immediately started talking to them. 
And one professor chose to be pretty annoyed by that and thought it was disrespectful. And the other professor opened up, like turned to the student, listened, had a conversation. After that conversation concluded, the professors walked together and one professor was like, that was rude. Like, why didn't you tell your student? Like, we were clearly having a conversation. Like, we need to teach these people how to be mature and be socially aware. And he goes, man, the older I've gotten, God has taught me that interruptions are so often him getting my attention. And I was like, man, that's really good. One, if you interrupt one of my conversations, I might not quite take that posture. I'll be like, hey, I was talking. But I thought that was a really good heart behind that. So often I see interruptions. I see moments that, that were compassion, a moment, a chance to show compassion to someone as an interruption. But so often it's God getting our attention. But man, we live in a culture of busyness. I feel busy even when I'm not. Like how often are we using the word busy with one another? So I feel like that's one of the things that exists in my life gets in the way. Um, secondly um, is the word reduction or reductionism. Um, I often reduce my understanding of compassion much smaller than what Jesus has given us. Like, I make it something smaller. Um, I make it about my voice or about my money. Like, that's where I want it to be. And those are two really important things. But when Jesus calls for a life of compassion, he calls for a life of, compa- of compassion. Do you know that the priests and the Levites in 2018 would have been the quickest to throw out a tweet and a hashtag? So quick. They had been tweeting it out. Hey, road from Jerusalem to Jericho, a lot of violence there. Hashtag fight for peace. Someone take care of this. We gotta do something about this. But the minute you're on the road, you pass by like, okay, I'm gonna tweet about, that's tough. I gotta go tweet about this, right? Like we live in a culture that goes, man, just yell about it. That's how you show you care. And Jesus goes, no, you live in it. Like you give your life to it. That's how you show your care. But I feel like one of the things getting in my way of showing love, of living out a life of active compassion is reducing the life that Jesus has called me to to some simple acts that are actually easy and don't take a lot of effort from me, right? That don't incorporate my body and my obedience. Thirdly, uh, for me, I'm insulated. I'm just an insulated guy. The other day I was talking to one of my friends and they were like, man, what's the point of the Christian life? Like, she, she said, I've been reading my Bible, I've been praying, and I, I, like, what's the point? I don't understand. Like, I just, I don't feel happy. And when I thought about that, I was like, that's a great question. Like, if, if you've been a Christian for any time, you've probably asked that. Like, okay, I'm reading the word, I'm praying, isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Why am I not satisfied? But when I look back and she said that, the, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, man, we're kind of insulated. Like, I spend a lot of my time around a lot of people my age. Uh, a lot of their parents got them where they are, like me, and we don't have a ton of need. Like, there's some brokenness, absolutely, but in regards to, like, real, like, desperate need, there's just not a lot of it. And man, if you spend your time around a bunch of people that just kind of have it all right and we kind of search for things to be upset about and and we're not out and about and we just read the word and we pray and it's just kind of, we do our Sunday thing and that's all we do. Like, I think we're missing something. Like when you find yourself insulated, it can produce an apathy, uh, a lack of awareness of real brokenness. And I I think that's something that that I've just seen in my own life, man. I'm pretty insulated at times. I'm fourth, uh, I'm just a selfish guy that really gets in the way. Uh, the selfishness thing can really creep up and ruin everything. And you know, I was thinking about how funny it is that right now one of the most useful cameras is the one that points right at your face. <laughs> like, what a hilarious thing. Like, I wonder if the person who made the camera thought, man, one day this is gonna take great photos from one foot away from people's faces. Like, what a hilarious thing our cute little culture's done. We're like, man, selfie. Like, that's just what it's all about. Let's get pictures of me. A mirror's not good enough. And it's just a crazy thing. And you know, the other day, my nephew, Actually, this was yesterday, and I love him. He's four years old. He's sweet and innocent, and he has no idea what his T-shirt said. But my sister chose to put a shirt on him that said, shout out to myself. 
And it's hilarious because he's four and just sweet and cute. And I'm like, you're right. Shout out to you. You are awesome. But I also thought, what a hilarious thing. Like, that is so our culture. Like, man, when I'm doing good, shout out to me. Y'all see this? Life is good. Like, I'm over here. Like, check me out. When I'm doing bad, like, let's talk about me some more. Like, I shout out the Enneagram. I love the Enneagram, but the Enneagram is hilarious. Like, I'm being such an eight right now. I'm just challenging the Enneagram. Like, hey, let's buck the system. I'm an eight. (laughs) The Enneagram. Well, hey, let's talk about me. I don't feel loved like that. You got to do this for me to feel love. This is how I come alive. Like, that's how it all works. I'm like, man, we think of a thousand ways to talk about me. Let's just do it. Like, all oh, the reason I'm upset with you is because this is how I receive love. Well, they were trying to love you. Show them some grace, all right? I don't know. I'm getting upset about it. The Enneagram's fine. I love it. Let's talk about the Enneagram. Let's talk about it afterward. I love it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, so often, everything points to me, so much so that when I'm doing something that Jesus has asked me to do, I'm noticing myself doing it. I'm like, wow, that really cost me a lot. I hope they saw that. I hope they noticed that. I, I love you. You see how much I just did? Like, even that. I can't, I can't love my own parents or my own wife, which I have now, without being kind of selfish. Like, it's, it's just kind of crazy. So selfishness really gets in the way here. Self-centeredness. Like, the arrow always tends to point to me. Number five, which is a little less hard on me, is not knowing where to start. Like, some of us are going, look, I hear you. I'm busy. I'm selfish. I got it. But honestly, I'm actually wanting to take a step. <laughs> I just don't know where to start. And that can be a real thing. A lot of us are like, every time I hear this story, I take about three minutes to feel guilty and brainstorm and I come up with nothing and then I'm just kind of sitting in the same spot I was before and that can be a real thing. And what I would encourage us to do is twofold here. First of all, it can help to do something outside of this time and just take like 30 minutes to pray and to brainstorm. Like, God, if, if, it's, if it's on your heart for me to live a life of active compassion, to go to places, to love people, to walk with people, will you just like give me some creative brainstorming sessions right now? Will you just pop up things in my mind? Like go on Google searches. But there's a second thing that our church wants to come alongside. And if you're going, man, I really wanna step in to like active compassion, um, what do I do? We've got this thing called Room in the Inn, this partnership with this group called Room in the Inn. If you came in, if you see it on your seat, grab it, look at it. Um, if you don't have one, I can get you one. There's some at the back on the connect table. Um, but Room in the End is this awesome group that from, I believe it's November to March, yeah, November through March, they provide shelter for those in our city uh, that don't have shelter at this point in their life. They don't have a place to stay. And if Room in the End didn't exist, um, they wouldn't have a place to stay. And what they do is they partner with churches and, and groups where we'll have a small group go to this church on Ackland and, and provide a meal and spend the night and, and just like love on some people. And it is a great first step to getting around some people that are in a different life situation than you. We've all been in places where we could have really used some people just to say, I love you, and I'm smiling at you, and we're eating together, and that's it. That's just what we're doing. We're just having a good time. We've all been there. And uh, we have friends and family all in our city that are in that situation. And Room in the Inn has provided just an amazing space to where if you're like, man, I want to, I want to start living into this. I want to get around some people that are in different life journeys than me. I want to start meeting some people that aren't in my circle. I want to be less insulated, but I don't know where to start. Man, Room in the Inn, this partnership we have is a great start. We'll be doing this all the way through March. So you'll see the instructions on here, who to contact, how to contact them. If you have any questions, you can ask me. But aside from the things that keep us from doing things, I'm like, now I'm asking, okay, well then what is going to compel us? Like what's gonna move us into uh, living a life of active compassion? And I think the first thing we have to understand is that this is not some like, hey, try harder, do better. Um, This is like a, hey, lean into the presence of God, 
understand that the compassion that's being asked of us is not something we're generating on our own accord. It is something that has first and foremost been just dumped all over our lives. Like God first and foremost was actively compassionate towards his creation. Like when Jesus came to earth, there was nothing convenient or cheap or clean about it. When he left eternity to put on skin and be trapped into time for a time being, like when he gave his life for us, like if you're here and consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you are a recipient of the greatest compassion known to man. And so as we go out into the city, we don't go going, man, I gotta muster up, like where do I find the, the compassionate part of my heart so I can show the world? It's like we first and foremost go, man, we are recipients and it is overflowing onto us. And so hopefully as it overflows out of our hearts, it flows onto other people. But we don't move as people generating our own compassion. We move as people who have been shown the greatest compassion known to man in Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, we need to embrace the posture of practitioner. The posture of a practitioner. For too long, we've done this thing, right? Where you come here and you're like, okay, he's just now starting to go a little long. He had some good points. He's already hit his apex. It's time to wrap up, right? We've been doing this for a long time. There's a lot of people that can do what I'm doing, that we can stand up here, talk about some things, and then we can leave, right? Jesus says, there's not a whole lot special about hearing my words. The special part happens when you hear my words and you act on them. He goes, there's two types of people. Everybody hears my words. Some of them hear them and don't act on them. The wise man hears them and acts on them. And at the end of the story, he goes, if you'll do this, you will live. Like, he's talking to people that are already breathing, but he goes, if you'll do this, if you'll step into this, if you'll become a practitioner and not just a professional exchanging theory, if you'll put this into motion, have your hands and feet move along in obedience to this scripture, that is where you'll find life. It's a pretty cool deal that as we live out of compassion, when we serve others, when we give our lives to other lives, we get life. That's how the gospel works, really cool. Last thing, treat the one person the way you wish you could treat a million people. That's just a good word of advice for all of us because we've never been more aware of what's going well and what's going terrible. Like social media and news outlets, we have no shortage of news now. We know when something bad has happened wherever it's happened. We know about it. And it's overwhelming. It's a lot. It's heavy. There's a lot of brokenness. And in that, it can be so overwhelming that it moves us to like apathy, like just totally checking out. But I would encourage this as a people of God, we don't have to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, the brokenness of the world on our shoulders. Jesus has that. What we can do is treat the one person the way we hope everyone's getting treated. I mean, just take that and live into that. So that's something I've learned in my journey at church. Like, as a pastor, I see all these new people coming in, and I just want to talk to all of them. And one of the best pieces of advice was talk to one how you wish you could talk to all of them. That just really helped chill me out. Anyway, so do that. So don't miss the most important thing. When Jesus says, like, man, if you boiled it all down, this whole Bible, if you boiled it all down to one thing, Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and equally love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we be a church that's identified by the active compassion of Jesus. So as we move into communion, this is not an easy thing. I think it takes prayer. I think it takes the spirit to lead us. I wanna invite us to do something we haven't done in a few months. I'm gonna invite you to circle up your chairs and to pray with each other. Very simply, I want you to pray for eyes to see and feet to move into action. It doesn't sound very smooth or clever, but eyes to see and feet to move into action. I want you to get with some people that you know, maybe people you don't know, introduce yourselves, and just pray with one another. God, if this is it, 
if the meaning of life, if the one commandment is to love you with all of us and love our neighbor as ourselves, will you give us eyes to see people? Will you help us to see people that need to see the compassion, the love of Jesus? And then will you help us to go and do it? If we would just pray with each other, I think that'll be powerful. I'll pray for us. We can go grab communion and then pray together. If you're not comfortable with that, you don't have to do that. You can pray on your own. No big deal. God, thank you for this morning. We love you. Thank you for the beautiful day. Even though it's freezing, it is beautiful. The leaves are amazing. The sky is beautiful. That God, all good things are from you, so we praise your name for it. During this time of communion, God, will you just illuminate our hearts? Will you, this week, as we pray for eyes to see, thank you in advance for the seeing that's gonna happen. Like, we will see it. And will you give us courage to take steps of boldness and obedience to love people? In Jesus' name, amen.